Part Three of Exile from Space by Judith Merrill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jen Broda. Part Three. The trouble was, there were too many things I didn't know, too many small ways to trip myself up, things they couldn't have foreseen, or if they did, couldn't have done much about. All it took was a little caution and a lot of alertness plus one big important item, staying in the background, not getting to know any one person too well, not giving any single individual a chance to observe too much about me. But Larry didn't mean to let me do that, and I didn't want him to. He asked questions. I tried to answer them. I did know enough at least of the conventions to realize that I didn't have to give detailed answers or could, at any point, act offended at being questioned so much. I didn't know enough to realize that reluctance or irritation on my part wouldn't have made him go away. We sat on those stools at the diner for most of an hour, talking, and after a little while I found I could keep the conversation on safer ground by asking him about himself and about the country thereabouts. He seemed to enjoy talking. Eventually, he had to go back to work. As near as I could make out, he was a test pilot or something like it for a small experimental aircraft plant near the city. He lived not too far from where I was staying, and he wanted to see me that evening. I hadn't told him where the motel was, and I had at least enough caution left not to tell him, even then. I did agree to meet him at the diner, but for lunch the next day again, instead of that evening. For one thing, I had a lot to do, and for another, I'd seen enough on television shows to know that an evening date was likely to be pretty long drawn out, and I wasn't sure I could stand up under that much close scrutiny. I had some studying up to do first, but the lunch date was fine. The thought of not seeing him at all was terrifying, as if he were an old friend in a world full of strangers. That was how I felt that first time, maybe just because he was almost as small as I, but I think it was more than that, really. I drove downtown again and found a store that seemed to sell all kinds of clothing for women. Then when I got inside, I didn't know where to start or what to get. I thought of just buying one of everything so as to fill up a suitcase. The things I had on seemed to be perfectly satisfactory for actual wearing purposes. They were quite remarkably, when you stopped to think of it, similar to what most of the women I'd seen that day were wearing, and of course they weren't subject to the same problems of dirtying and wrinkling and such as the clothes in the store were. I walked around for a while trying to figure out what all the different items, shapes, sizes, and colors were for. Some racks and counters had signs, but most of them were unfamiliar words like brunchies or bermudas or scuffs. Or else they seemed to be mislabeled, like dusters for a sort of button-down dress and postage stamp girdles at one section of a long counter devoted to foundation garments. 
For half an hour or so, I wandered around in there, shaking my head every time a saleswoman came up to me, because I didn't know and couldn't figure out what to ask for or how to ask for it. The thing was, I didn't dare draw too much attention to myself by doing or saying the wrong things. I'd have to find out more about clothes, somehow, before I could do much buying. I went out, and on the same block I found a show window full of suitcases. That was easy. I went in and pointed to one I liked and paid for it, and walked out with it, feeling a little braver. After all, nobody had to know there was nothing in it. On the corner, I saw some books displayed in the window of a drugstore. It took all the courage I had to go in there, after my first trip into one that looked very much like it, but I wanted a dictionary. This place didn't smell quite so strong. I suppose the pharmacy was enclosed in back, and I don't believe it had a lunch counter. Anyhow, I got in and out quickly and walked back to the car and sat down with the dictionary. It turned out to be utterly useless, at least as far as brunchies and Bermudas were concerned. It had scuff, V, with a definition. V, I found out, meant verb, so that wasn't the word I wanted. But when I remembered the slippers on the counter with the sign, it made sense in a way. Not enough sense, though. I decided to forget about the clothes for a while. The next problem was a driver's license. The policeman that morning had been helpful, if over-interested, and since policemen directed traffic, they ought to have the information I wanted. I found one of them standing on a street corner, looking not too busy, and asked him. And if his hair hadn't been brown instead of reddish, and only half there, I'd have thought it was the same one I talked to before. He wanted to know how old I was, and where I was from, and what I was doing there, and did I have a car, and was I sure I was nineteen. Well, of course, I wasn't sure, but they told me that by the local reckoning that was my approximate age. And I almost slipped and said I had a car, until I realized that I didn't have a right to drive one till I had a license. After he asked me that one question, I began to feel suspicious about everything else he asked and the interest he expressed. He was helpful, but I had to remember, too, that it was the police who were charged with watching for suspicious characters, and, well, it was the last time I asked a policeman for information. He did tell me where I could rent a car to take my road test, though, and where to apply for the test. The courthouse turned out to be the big building behind the square where I'd parked the car that morning, and arranging for the test turned out to be much simpler than, by then, I expected it to be. In a way, I suppose, all the questions I had to answer when I talked to the policeman had prepared me for the official session, though they didn't seem nearly so inquisitive there. By this time, I'd come to expect that they wouldn't believe my age when I told them. The woman at the window behind the counter wanted to see a birth certificate, and I produced the one piece of identification I had, an ancient and yellowed document they had kept for me all these years. From the information it contained, 
I suspected it might even be a birth certificate. Whether or not, it apparently satisfied her, and after that, all she wanted was things like my address and height and weight. Fortunately, they had taken the trouble, back on the ship, to determine these statistics for me, because things like that were always coming up on television shows, especially when people were being questioned by the police. For the address, of course, I used the motel. The rest I knew, and I guess we had the figures close enough to write so that at least the woman didn't question any of it. I had my road test about half an hour later in a rented car, and the examiner said I did very well. He seemed surprised, and I don't wonder, considering the way most of those people contrive to mismanage a simple mechanism like an automobile. I guess when they say Earth is still in the mechanical age, what they mean is that humans are just learning about machines. The biggest single stroke of luck I had at any time came during that road test. We passed a public-looking building with a sign in front of it that I didn't understand. What's that place? I asked the examiner, and he said, as if anyone would know what he meant, that? Oh, the library. I looked it up in my dictionary as soon as I was done at the license bureau, and when I found out what it was, everything became a great deal simpler. There was a woman who worked there who showed me, without any surprise at my ignorance, just how the card catalog worked and what the numbering system meant. She didn't ask me how old I was, or any other questions, or demand any proof of any kind to convince her I had a right to use the place. She didn't even bother me much with questions about what I was looking for. I told her there were a lot of things I wanted to know, and she seemed to think that was a good answer, and said if she could help me any way, not to hesitate to ask. And then she left me alone with those drawers and drawers full of letter and number keys to all the mysteries of an alien world. I found a book on how to outfit your daughter for college that started with underwear and worked its way through to jewelry and cosmetics. I also found a whole shelf full of law books, and in one of them, specific information about the motor vehicle regulations in different states. There was a wonderful book about diamonds and other precious stones, particularly fascinating because it went into the chemistry of the different stones and gave me the best measuring stick I found at any time to judge the general level of technology of that so-called mechanical age. That was all I had time for. I couldn't believe it was so late when the librarian came and told me they were closing up and I guess my disappointment must have showed all over me, because she asked if I wouldn't like to have a card so I could take the books home. I found out all I needed to get a card was identification. I was supposed to have a reference, too, but the woman said she thought perhaps it would be all right without one, in my case. And then, when I wanted to take a volume of the Encyclopedia Americana, she said they didn't usually circulate that, but if I thought I could bring it back within a day or two, I promised to, and I never did. And out of everything that happened, that's the one thing I feel badly about. I think she must have been a very unusual and good sort of woman, and I wish I had kept my promise to her.
Some of the stores downtown were still open. I bought the things I'd be expected to have, as near as I could make out from the book on college girls, panties and a garter belt and a brassiere and stockings, a slip and another blouse and a coat, because even in the early evening it was beginning to get chilly. Then the salesgirl talked me into gloves and a scarf and some earrings. I was halfway back to the car when I remembered about night clothes and went back for a gown and robe and slippers. That didn't begin to complete the college girl's list, but it seemed like a good start. I'd need a dress, too, I thought, if I ever did go out with Larry in the evening, but that could wait. I put everything into the suitcase and drove back to the motel. On the way, I stopped at a food store and bought a large container of milk and some crackers and some fruit, oranges and bananas and apples. Back in my room, I put everything away in the drawers and then sat down with my book and my food and had a wonderful time. I was hungry, and everything tasted good, away from the dead meat smells, and what with clothes in the drawers and everything, I was beginning to feel like a real earth girl. I even took a bath in the bathroom. A good long one. Next to the library, that's the thing I'll miss most. It would be even better if they made the tubs bigger so you could swim around some. But just getting wet all over like that and splashing in the water is fun. Of course, we could never spare enough water for that on the ship. Altogether, it was a good evening. Everything was fine until I tried to sleep in that bed. I felt as if I was being suffocated all over. The floor was almost as bad, but in a different way. And once I got to sleep, I guess I slept well enough because I felt fine in the morning. But then, I think I must have been on a mild oxygen jag all the time I was down there. Nothing seemed to bother me too much. That morning, I felt so good, I worked up my courage to go into a restaurant again, a different one. The smell was beginning to be familiar, and I could manage better. I experimented with a cereal called oatmeal, which was delicious. Then I went back to the motel, packed up all my belongings, left the key on the desk, as instructed by the sign on the door, and started out for Denver. End of Part 3